I'm going to start off by telling you guys a story. Who here is in sixth grade? Yeah? Okay. Now, keep your hand up if where you go to school, you went to middle school now. You're not at elementary school anymore. Okay. So you guys, where you're at, when I was in sixth grade, I moved from one school district to another. My family moved about 20 miles, and so we went from one city named Bloomington to another city. You can put your hand down. From one city in Bloomington to another city named Burnsville, all right? And so I started going to a new middle school. It's called Valley Middle School. And my first day, I didn't know anybody because we had just moved. Uh, it kind of happened really quick. And so I didn't get a chance to like, do any like, summer league or anything where I'd have some friends. And so I went to school on the first day of middle school knowing absolutely nobody, being totally like shy little sixth grade Dave at the bus stop. Like, I don't know who these people are. I'm so lonely and I'm scared. And so I get on the bus, I totally ran, my bus stop was the second in the whole bus stop route, so I ran to the back and I got the seat where it's like on its own. Do you guys, do your buses still have that? Where there's the one seat that's like a one and a half seat, so you just sit there by yourself. So I sat there with like my head in my backpack, so scared of the world. And I was like, oh my gosh, I just want to get to school, why don't you go to class? And so I get to school and I made my very first friend that day, and his name was Chad. Anyone have a friend named Chad? Anyone? Yeah, Chad's, woo! That's not that important. So I met a guy named Chad, and he was my very first friend. And Chad, I found out through that day, you know, like you meet someone the first time, and you're all nervous because you're, like, in a new place. And so you're like, oh, hi, my name's, my name's Dave. And then he's like, oh, my name's Chad, you know. And he's, like, a lot more not nervous because he goes to school there and already has friends. So he's like, oh, I'm Chad. And I'm like, oh, so uh, what's, uh, like, where do you live? And he's like, oh, I live uh, off of, uh, like, Flagstaff and 140s. I'm like, oh, I live in Summit Oaks now. 42 and Burns Parkway. Uh, so, and you just go through these random, like, hey, how about you? What do you this? What do you that? Like, oh, do you like waffles or pancakes? And he's like, oh, pancakes, waffles are terrible. And I'm like, no way, waffles are the best. And you know, just you go back and forth. And finally, I got to him and I was like, oh, do you go to church anywhere? Because I had been going to the same church since I was in third grade and I love it. I loved my youth group. And so I wanted to invite him if he didn't go anywhere. And he goes, oh, no, I don't go to church. And I was like, oh, does your family just not go to church? He's like, yeah, none of us go to church. Like, it's not really our thing or whatever. I don't remember how he described it. That's how I would say it now if I was, like, 22. But I don't remember how Chad described it in sixth grade. But basically, he said, yeah, my family doesn't go to church. And it's not like Chad was this, like, super terrible guy. Like, he wasn't, like, cutting out of class and, like, smoking cigarettes behind the gym and, like, have a pit bull tattoo. And you're like, you're not even 18. How do you have that tattoo? Like, there wasn't any of those things. He was a really nice, good dude. He just didn't go to church. And I wanted him to know Jesus. So I kept asking Chad every now and then. I was like, oh, well, hey, do you want to go to church with me? You know, like, we've got this going on. So, like, if it had been this weekend, I might have been like, dude, I don't even care if you want to come to church. We got waffles. Come have a waffle with me. And I, if I was him, would be like, I am coming for waffles. That sounds great. And so he just kept saying, oh, no, that's okay. Maybe next time. Maybe next time. No, that's okay. And so I started praying for Chad that I wanted him to come to church. And so I would pray, I'd pray, and I'd ask him, and it just kind of kept going, oh, no, not this time, maybe next time, whatever. And I will admit to you guys, I gave up a couple times. You know, I'd get so discouraged, and I'd be like, ah, he's just never going to come. But then, you know, one of my friends would tell me a story about how one of their friends from their school, like one of my friends at church, you know, was like, oh, yeah, you know, this guy, he just kept saying no, but he finally came, and then he'd get saved, and like, oh, sweet, man, ah, that, I want that to be Chad, you know, so I'd start asking him again, and I'd start praying again, or then I'd, you know, talk to my youth pastor, one of my youth leaders, and I'd keep asking and, and praying, and every time the answer was kind of like, uh, no, that's okay, maybe next time, you know, and it just kept on this cycle of him saying no, 
but me wanting so badly for Chad to come to church and to know Jesus. And so today, on that note, we're going to talk about prayer, and we're going to talk about a specific scripture called the persistent widow. It's about praying and not giving up. So if you guys don't have a Bible, go ahead and get up and grab one from the prayer walls right to the left and right. I kind of feel like I'm like a flight attendant, like pointing you to the exits, like, in the event of an emergency, please move to the exit nearest you. The exit nearest you may be behind you and not in front of you. Yeah, as your captain speaking. We're uh, looking at about uh, 10 minutes to take off time. Uh, got about two flights queued ahead of us, uh, keeping with air traffic to see how long it'll be before we get out on the tarmac. Uh, flight time today should be about three minutes and five seconds to Dallas-Fort Worth. Uh, local local air temp would be 87 degrees with a slight wind from the northwest at about five miles an hour. We'll keep it with you as we get to the tarmac. All right. Ding. It's one of my favorite things in the world to do is talk like I'm a talk like I'm an air. I wanted to be a pilot really bad, so my way I live through that today is my pilot voice. That had nothing to do with anything. All right, so you've all got Bibles now, so. Page 851 is where we're going, and it's Luke 18, so I'm going to give you a second here to turn there. I probably should have had them do that before I went on my air pilot voice, because now you're all like turning, and I don't have anything to say. So, all right, just go ahead and get there. Say it again. Darth Vader. Darth Vader. I can't do Darth Vader. I can do like Bane, though, like Batman. I have this theory that if you guys probably don't even know who Sean Connery is, but he was the original James Bond. I have this theory that Bane from Batman is just Sean Connery with your hands in front of your mouth. Like, Sean Connery, you were born, you learned to live in the dark. I was born in it. You know, it's just the same thing. You just put your head in front of Yeah. Anyways. Okay, so Luke 18. So, <laughs> I got the train off the track. Now we're going back on it. All right, here we go. So, in Luke 18, we're going to meet a couple people. But before we talk about them much, we're just going to read it. So, you're all there, page 851, Luke 18. Verse 1, here we go. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust says, unjust judge says, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So that's a lot of stuff going on there. Really quick to explain it. So we met the judge. We met the widow. We saw that she had a problem. She was going with the lawsuit. And then she keeps pushing. So we're going to talk through a couple of these people. So the first person we meet is the judge. So maybe when you think of judges, you might think of Judge Judy. That's my initial reaction. I was like, oh, a judge. I was like, Judge Judy. And her like pounding her gavel like, order in my court. You don't yell in my court. You know, like yelling at the guy who's like, no way, I paid the rent. And he's like, she's like, you be quiet. You know, it's this total dramatic TV judge thing. So TV judges, we're going to go through my favorite TV judges really quick, just for fun. Judge Judy, or maybe you're a Judge Mathis type of person. I love Judge Mathis. 
But maybe that's not rough enough. Maybe you like Judge Hatchet. No nonsense courtroom with Judge Hatchet. Or maybe Judge Joe Brown's your guy. I love Judge Joe Brown. Maybe you're like, Dave, I'm not so into TV judges unless it's the voice judges. <laughs> Who's excited for the new season with CeeLo back? Am I right? So he can show up with parrots on his shoulder and like monkeys and stuff, just unexplained, never mentioning them. He's just there like in his chair and he spins around hitting the button and like you haven't seen him yet. And there's just this like, like he's got like a dolphin in a cage like next to him. And he's like, yeah, I like your voice a lot. And it's like, you have a dolphin. Why are you not talking about the dolphin? Anyways, I like the voice a lot in case you can't tell. And I'm very partial to CeeLo Green because he's crazy. That guy is nuts. All right. So those aren't the judges we're talking about, though. We're going to talk about the judge in this story. And so there's two things that you need if you're going to be a good judge. I'm going to let you guys guess. What do you think you need to be a good judge? Not a singer. Not that type of judge. Like a... Like, when I say judge, I mean in a courtroom, like, like I'm going to sue Adrian because Adrian has been being mean to me. So I'm bringing him to court, and I'm like, Adrian, you're being mean. And he's like, no, I'm not. I'm super nice. Why are you taking me mean? And the judge is like, order, order. I'll hear the cases, that type of judge. So this judge, there's two things you need to be a good judge. One would be that you need to care about right and wrong because if you're a judge, you're going to decide, I've heard this case from one side. I've heard the plaintiff. And I don't remember the other word. What's the other word? The defendant, the plaintiff, and the defendant, and the bailiff who's there, like the, the cop in the court. I love the bailiff. Come bring the evidence to me, bailiff. And he goes and gets it. Anyways, so if you're going to be a good judge, you have to care about right and wrong because you have to hear both of these cases and you have to say, this is the truth. This is right. So this is how I'm going to rule. I'm going to rule in this person's favor. So this judge says, I don't, care, I don't fear God. And so what you can read into that is that he didn't have a good sense of right and wrong, like a way to measure what's good, what's right. The other thing that you need to be a good judge is you need to genuinely care about people. Because if you're going to hear these cases between two people, you need to be able to say, you know what? I care about these people, and I care kind of on the you know, second part of the first one. Like, I care that right is done. I care that good is done in this case. And so I rule in this way because I care about right and wrong and I care about people. This judge has neither of those things. He doesn't fear God and he doesn't care about people. So I don't know about you, but I'm reading it and I'm like, man, I would hate to be in this guy's like, courtroom because who knows what's going to happen. If he doesn't care about right and wrong, he doesn't care about people, I'm going to go in and he's going to be like, I'm going to rule whatever way gets you out of my courtroom so I can go back to doing whatever I was doing. So that's the judge. The judge does not sound like a good dude. If you think the judge sounds like a good dude, let me correct you. You're wrong. He's a bad dude. So then we meet the widow. And the widow, uh, to backtrack a second, sorry. So the widow, like if you're a widow, do you guys know what a widow is? Okay, yeah. So for any of you that don't know, a widow is a woman whose husband has died. So she is sad and her heart is broken. She's lonely. So like Brittany would be a widow if Justin, heaven forbid, passed away. That would be a widow. Okay, so a widow in our time, and now take all this with a grain of salt because I mean this relative to the fact that like in terms of if your husband has died, a widow in our time has it pretty good because all of the possessions, like so if I am married and I die and I have a widow, my widow would have it pretty all right. Any of my possessions would be left to that widow. Unless in my will, I was like, I leave all of my Nike shoes to Graham, 
and I leave my PS3 to Adrian. So like, then those things would go to those people, but everything else would be left by default to my widow. Any land that I owned, so maybe if I owned like a bunch of farmland in Montana, my widow would get it. And so then she could like go there and farm as her, it's like, you know, it could be like a Nicholas Sparks novel, like a romantic comedy, like, like I die, but then I leave her this note like, go farm on the land and live on. And she goes there, she starts farming it, and some cowboy comes in, and he's like, howdy miss, nice to meet you, heard you're a widow. They fall in love, it's this beautiful story about how life goes on. Anyways, so that land so that she could move on would be left to her. Then, if I owned a house, so if I've got a nice house in like CDM or Balboa or something, she would get it too. Uh, anything that I owned would be left to her. Just, just go with it, all right? Christy, just go with it, okay? All right. If you don't stop laughing, I'm not going to stop laughing, all right? Come on. All right, so she would be allowed to basically live life as normal. If she needed to go work then to support her life, she could. You know, it's obviously totally fine for a woman to go get a job. So she could do that, and she could keep moving forward with life as normal as you could if your spouse died. A widow in biblical times could not be any more the opposite. So if you're a widow in biblical times, you're in a bad situation because you don't have any rights as a woman in those times. The society in general was very uh, male-dominated, so you wouldn't have any rights. You wouldn't be allowed to go work. So you wouldn't be left the house. You wouldn't get that farmland in Montana. You wouldn't get the PS3. You wouldn't get the nice Balboa Island house. All that stuff would be given to whatever closest male relative you had. Whether that was literally like way up the family tree and back down, it's like your seventh cousin, like he would get it no matter what. And so your best hope as a widow would be that you had a son or a son-in-law because of a daughter who got married that was working and had a good home and all those things because then A, the property could go to them and hopefully they like had the best intentions for you and wouldn't like throw you out and take your house. And also, then you wouldn't be left out on the street. And so this woman, we can assume, since there's no mention of the widow with her son, like there's a couple stories in the New Testament where you see Paul with a widow, and it mentions specifically, it always mentions a living male if one is, is, is present because it was very relevant to the story. And so there's not one mentioned here. So we have to assume she's like on her own. There's no guy. Her house has just been taken by, you know, whatever males around could take it. She's like out on the street begging. And so that would be where you'd end up if, if none of those things that could like maybe go right for you happen. You would end up out begging, hoping that someone would give you a little bit of money to go buy some bread or they'd give you some food or they'd take you in for a meal or any of those things. And so this woman is not in a good position. And so she's going to the court probably with a lawsuit saying, hey, I'm being taken advantage because I'm a widow and I don't have rights. And so this judge is saying, I don't care, leave me alone. So she's going and being like, hey, grant me justice against my adversary. That's what it says in the verse. So if we translate that now, she'd be like, hey, there's this dirt bag and you need to throw him in jail because he's a jerk and you should take his stuff from him. That's probably what she's saying. And the judge's response is like, hey, leave me alone because you're crazy and I don't care. So that's kind of what's going on. It kind of sounds like it could be on a TV judge show if you ask me. Anyways, so that's what's going on. She's just like, hey, she's going back day after day after day saying, please take my case. Hear this in court. Try this case. Please, please. I'm not even asking you to rule my favor. Just take the case in your court. And the judge is saying, no, I'm not going to do it. Leave me alone. But then finally... In her 
favor, persistence pays off. The widow keeps pushing for justice. She won't let go. She keeps going back day after day and won't back down. And she's saying, like, please, please take this case, please. And after a long time, finally the judge says, hey, you know what? Even though I don't care what people think, even though I don't care about right or wrong, I'll finally see that you get justice so that you won't come and attack me. So uh, basically, I don't know if you're catching this, he's saying, I think you're nuts and you're going to come stab me if I don't finally take your case. Like, I don't know if you're catching this, but he's like, this woman is nuts, fine, I'll take your case. So that's what happens because he's afraid because she's come back so many times with persistence that finally he says, okay, whatever. So he helps this woman, pulls the case in and gets her justice because she's been persistent. Now, I don't know, and then if you guys are familiar with this process of like wearing people down, but a lot of the things that I have in my life, I got through the wear down when I was in elementary school and in middle school. So like we talked about it in breakout groups, I got a nice brand new Game Boy Color back when they came out when I was like probably six which means that no one in this room who is a student was born. And, uh, and I got that nice translucent, like, see-through purple. Have you guys ever seen those ones? They're really rad. Yeah. And I played, like, Wario World Color, and it was this big deal. And I'm pretty sure, like, the game cartridge was as much as an Xbox game is now. Like, I'm pretty sure it was, like, $50, and it was like, wow, this is so cheap. And now if you paid $50 for a Game Boy game, you'd be like, this is highway robbery. Anyways, so that's neither here nor there. So back on track. Guys, those waffles made me crazy. I ate too many waffles with too much syrup and way too much Nutella. Don't, don't take my example. Yeah, don't do it. That was, that was a bad move. Okay. Anyways, yeah, I should be more responsible. I, I'm very open about the fact that I'm not a good adult, but we'll move on. So, so I got a lot of stuff through the wear down. Anyways, so when we read this scripture, if you're kind of tracking with me and you're paying attention and you're not messing around with your friends back there about five rows back, those guys, you know, if you're paying attention and you're listening and you're tracking with me, you might be going, wait a second, are you telling me that I have to wear down God to get something good? And let me tell you, that's not what I'm telling you. So Jesus says, as soon as he's done telling the story, he says, look at what the unjust judge does. And what he's saying is like, even though he didn't care, even this guy, even this terrible judge gave this woman what was right with persistence. And then he follows it up by saying, and how much better is God? How much better is the God that we serve? Even this awful judge could do it, and God cares about you. And the whole point of the parable, what I'm getting at is this. So, like, normally in a parable, we can identify with, like, one person that's in the parable. We can, like, look and, like, a few months ago, I taught on a parable in here called the unmerciful servant, and it's all about forgiveness. And so if we're listening to that parable, you go, oh, I'm the guy that doesn't forgive. I need to start forgiving people more. We can identify with people, you know. And in this parable, it's kind of like Jesus has been telling all these parables, and he's just throwing, like, fastballs down the strike zone the whole inning. And then all of a sudden, he throws this one, and he's like, curveball. And you're like, what? Because we're not anyone in this parable. And that's kind of the surprise that we get when we read it, because we're not like the widow. We're not out begging, hopeless. And God's not like the unjust judge just saying, I don't care about you, but fine, I guess you've worn me down. I'll give you what's right. See, he throws this curveball by saying God cares about you. We're not in this same problem that this, this widow is in. Because the widow, um, you know, there's something about the widow's persistence, though, that even so, we can really learn from. Because I think sometimes we are the biggest roadblocks 
to what we want and to what God wants for us. And I'll explain what I mean by that. But I think sometimes we're just the biggest enemies to it. We'll pray about something and we'll be like, God, I really want, you know, um, help with this friendship. But we'll pray about it once. And then we move on and just decide that since it didn't get fixed in that moment, God doesn't care. Or maybe it's like my story at the beginning with Chad where I'm praying and I'm like, oh, God, I want Chad to come to church. But I pray for maybe a week, four or five days, you know, and I'm like, well, nothing's happening. So I guess God doesn't care. And we give up. And we give up too easily. And we don't, like, try, you know, to just keep praying. And we don't have that endurance in praying. And I think the whole point that I'm getting at, this whole story, is this. If you leave today and you don't remember anything that I said, but you remember one thing, I want you to think about this. When you get serious, God gets serious. When you get serious, God will get serious. And what I mean by that is this. When we pray about something and we don't give up. When we care about something and we don't pray once or twice, we don't pray for a few days and then just automatically decide, well, I guess that's it. I guess this is the brick wall and God doesn't care. And so my question for you today is this. What are you going to take serious this fall? Now, I know there's a few of you in the room that have year-round school, and so you're kind of like, I've already been in school. But for the, the vast majority of all you guys, you just started school. You've been in for like a week. And my favorite part of a new school year when I was in school was always making new friends and meeting new people and seeing people I hadn't seen in a long time that I cared about. And so maybe what you're going to take serious this fall is that new friend that you've met that doesn't go to church or that, you know, has a problem in their family that has a parent who's sick. Maybe you've got a parent who's sick. Or maybe I know I'm not the only one in the room who's got a family member who doesn't know Jesus. There's no way I'm the only one. And maybe for you, the thing you're going to take serious is praying for that relative, praying for that family member. When I was praying for Chad and my story I told you at the beginning, I kept praying for three years. It took three years before I could ever get Chad to come to church. And I love that I can tell you that Chad came and he knows Jesus now. But the point isn't that like, you're like, oh, wow, Dave, that's so great. The point is this, is it was really hard to pray for three years and not give up. And I did give up a couple times. But I want to challenge you and encourage you saying that it's worth it. When it's, you're like, ah, I guess God doesn't care, to pray and keep going and have persistence anyways. And keep praying for that person until you see something happen. Because when you get serious, God will get serious. And so we're going to respond, and the band's going to come back up. We're going to play a song and, and sing and that whole bit. We're used to that. But I want you to think about this question of what will you get serious about this fall? Whether that's a friend, a family member, or a person with a need. Maybe you've got a parent that needs a job or a relative that needs a job. It could be anything. But what will you get serious about as we start this new school year? And as we respond, you guys, I'm going to have you go to the prayer wall and just write it down and just put it up on the wall. And it doesn't need to be shared with anyone. It can be, it's between you and God. But I want you to write down what you're going to take serious. And you don't have to get up right away because I, I want you to take this seriously. I know we're used to using the prayer walls, kind of like, okay, well, I guess I'll just write something down and put it up and whatever, and then I get to leave. But I want you to really take this moment seriously and just sit and think. If you need to think for the whole song before you go write something down, do it. Pray about it. But what are you going to take seriously this fall? So I'm going to pray for you guys, and then we'll respond with the band. So God, I just pray for every one of us in this room. God, I pray that uh, as we just pray about and decide what we're going to take serious starting today, God, I pray that you would guide us. God, that you direct us as we respond. God, and that you just help us to know what you would want us to write down. So God, we just thank you for this moment that we can respond and think about this. Grace in your name. Amen. All right, God.
All right, guys, I'm going to pray for you, and then we're going to go. So, God, I just lift up every student in this room. God, and I lift up what they've written down, God, to, uh, to take seriously, God, as we start uh, this school year, God. And I pray that, um, God, you'd help us to not give up, God, not to, uh, to get discouraged, God, that you give us hope uh, in those things that we've written down. God, we just lift up every single thing, God, that we're going to take serious, and I pray, God, that you would move in those situations. God, we lift it up in your name. Thank you for every student in this room. Praise in your name. Amen. Guys, thanks so much for being here. We love you guys.